So I have a new favorite thing that I've been doing lately. Uh, by the way, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Take a seat. Relax. We're going to be here for a bit. Uh, my new favorite thing is reading the mail that you guys send me. Email, Instagram. We're getting stuff sent to the office. Someone made me jam. Jazz Butcher Basil Berry Jam, which was curious and then delicious. But reading the letters that you guys take the time to write uh, is just about the coolest thing. So thank you. Keep them coming. I will answer all of them. And some, like this one from Brian from Brooklyn, I will read on the air. Brian writes, Dear Alex, loved your book, Malro and the Midnight Organ Fight. I went to the indie bookshop here in Brooklyn and I bought a copy. And while I was there, I met a girl who I've now been dating for almost a month. Who would have known that a book about murder for teenagers would help me find the love of my life? That's awesome, Brian. That's so cool to hear. Uh, and your, your story actually reminds me of a very famous Charles Dickens quote uh, where he said, I want my writing to be thought-provoking, entertaining, and to provide an escape into a world of wonder. I also hope it encourages people to delete Hinge. <laughs> Brian also writes, uh, by the way, I loved the Dot Allison episode, and I love her new album, too. Can I make a request? Can you please interview Stuart Copeland on the program? Brian, ask, and you shall receive. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Delete Hinge. And check this out. band which featured my guest today on the program, Stuart Copeland. Let me tell you a little bit about Stuart Copeland. Born in Virginia but raised in Cairo and Beirut by a Scottish archaeologist mother and an American father who founded the CIA, Stuart Copeland has had quite a life, so much so that his biography probably deserves its own podcast. But for the sake of time, Let's go with this expurgated version. Now, Copeland started playing drums at 12, and after finishing boarding school in England and college at UC Berkeley, he returned to the UK to play drums for Curved Air. In 1977, Copeland founded The Police with Sting, and after recruiting guitarist Andy Summers, the New Wave power trio locked in, and the rest, as they say, is history. But in the case of The Police, 
let's go with history to the 10th power. Putting it simply, the police are one of the best-selling bands of all time, with record sales heading close to 100 million worldwide. They put out five albums from 78 to 83, and by the time that last one hit, that would have been 1983 Synchronicity, by the way, they were arguably the biggest band in the world. Their legacy is safely enshrined in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and Copeland is considered to be one of the greatest drummers to ever sit behind the kit. But his accomplishments don't stop there. Not even close. He's scored movies like Rumblefish, Wall Street, and Talk Radio, TV shows like The Equalizer, Dead Like Me, and Star Wars Droids. By the way, this is a partial list, and when I say partial list, I mean really partial list. Copeland's credits are beyond extensive. All right, what else do we have? He's also scored ballets that were commissioned by everyone from the San Francisco Ballet Company to the Seattle Symphony Orchestra. He's collaborated with Tom Waits, Peter Gabriel, Les Claypool of Primus, and Adam Ant. He put out solo albums of his own, and he played in other bands like Animal Logic and Oysterhead with Trey Anastasio of Fish. He's scored video games, done voices for movies like South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, he put out a memoir called Strange Things Happen, A Life with the Police, Polo, and Pygmies. And he collaborated with the Long Beach Opera on a production of Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart. I'm going to stop there, but trust me, it keeps going. I didn't even mention his photography, his videography, and his six Grammy Awards. Good God. Well, the always busy Copeland's new project is called Police Deranged for Orchestra. It's basically a fresh take on the police songbook by way of the L.A.-based 28-member Recollective Orchestra. They reimagine songs like Roxanne and Don't Stand So Close to Me, and the results, they're captivating and spellbinding. A total blast to talk to Stuart, so let's get to it. Here's me and Stuart Copeland having a conversation right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. horrible event it has been an apocalypse for most of my musician friends who are players you know one of my buddies told me if i don't get on the mic i gotta start selling stuff um others who are writers at home are happy as clams and in this it's you know one needs to be mindful in one's ivory tower thriving that there are so many affected not only by the disease and the illness and the health aspect but their career their livelihood everything uh it really has been pretty devastating uh some of us have been blessed to have gotten away scot-free pretty much and i'm thankful to have been one of them i mean employing almost 30 people for an orchestra seems like a good way to get people back to work and get them get them paid absolutely uh it's a heck of an orchestra. It's a, it's a very, you know, normally I play with fine arts orchestras, you know, the, the Cleveland orchestra or, or San Diego symphony or whatever, you know, they play 
core classical normally, and I put my charts in front of them, they go a little bit cross-eyed, but when they hear the response, when they see the audience responding as they do at a rock show, because it's mainly a rock and roll audience who are getting kind of a new experience with the orchestra, but the orcs get a new experience too, which is people rushing the stage, singing all the songs, waving their arms, dancing. So I get a thrill from how the orchestra gets lit up as well. Now, theoretically, a band is a theoretical democracy. I don't know if it always works that way, but an orchestra um, has a sort of no. different demand. It, oh, it doesn't no. work that way. <laughs> okay. It is not a democracy. Okay. Well, the, the orcs have a, a mindset, which is very different. There's two kinds of musicians. I, you know, very reductive here, but there are two kinds of musicians, uh, musicians of the ear and musicians of the eye. Musicians of the ear, that's me, and rock and rollers, we connect with the music with our ear. We play by our ear. We're, we're staring off into space and we connect with our ear. The orcs are musicians of the eye. They connect to the music with their eyes. Their eyes are on the page, moving from left to right across the staff. And that's how they connect. And, and they have all their artistry, all their training, all their skills, all their talent in expressing what's on the page. And they that makes them really precious for composers because they do as they're told. It's not a democracy, but it's kind of selfless because to the extent that they obey every nuance on the page, that hairpin ends right here on the third note of the triplet, not at the last note, you know, to the extent that they absolutely meticulously execute the ink on the page, they are collectively the mighty Cleveland Orchestra, you know? That, that's where they get their ego trip is by how well they, they mesh together. And this time it's like 30 guys, but you know, usually it's 50 guys. And some of the shows I play with, you know, 70 guys, you know, when they really build out, the, it's, it's about the strings, you know, how many strings have you got? So there's a kind of almost academic approach to an orchestra. Uh, clever word, but I would not use that because it's very emotional. Uh they have a very strong emotional commitment to the music. You know, each one of these people in, in the orchestra, they were the star clarinetist in high school, you know, uh, destined for greatness. And then, you know, they, they, they reach the apex of achievement, which is to be one of 50 orcs. Um, and they really are dedicated to their music. It's a vocation. Um, and so it's more, it's, it's too emotional to call it academic, I would, I would say all these pieces form this kind of organic organism that moves in this beautiful way. It's an incredible thing. You yeah. put it on the page and they will heave together like a surging wave. Um, and if you give them the right instructions, and it's not just the notes, you know, the notes are da 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 da. But the music is da 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 da. And that person is not da da da, it's da 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 da. You know, where, you know, they breathe once and hit three notes with one breath, or do they hit three breaths? Is it da 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 or da da da? All the Italian, as I call it, is what makes the music sing. How do you like being the guy who controls all that? I'm a youngest sibling. I'm happiest as a member of a team, a gang. You know, uh, my big brothers were very charismatic, um, and so I. I'm always happiest as a member of a team, but this composer thing is just inevitably kind of do these orchestra shows and they show up in Buffalo or in Pittsburgh or wherever. I'm alone in my hotel room. 
I go down to the hotel bar and I sit there by myself. I haven't got my chuckle buddies around me. Uh, but in this time I do because I've got the three magnificent soul sisters on the mic, uh, Carmel, Ashley, and Helene. Um, it is, it, it's, it's more of a, it's a lot more fun to have a, have a crew. Just putting a button on the idea of a rock band as a democracy. Is it or is it not? And what is the key to leadership in that medium? Uh, they're different in every band. Some bands are officially a democracy, but one guy has all, you know, leadership in a band is all about having the best idea first. And you can be a democracy all you want, but that guy writes a song that we all want to play. And let's do that. Um, and so it's not written in stone. It's not the band's policy. Uh, some bands, you know, I'm not going to mention any names here, but there are some bands where one guy owns the name uh, and he can have whoever he wants in the band. He's got the name, therefore he is the band. Others uh, are extremely democratic. And uh, I know bands where I would think, you know, one of the guys is doing everything, but they split it four ways equally nonetheless. And that's not fair either. Every, you know, every band, depending on how they were formed, how they progress, figures out their own, um, their own political system. Yeah. Right. Like a band like REM always seemed like a fair democracy to me. It seemed like that all seemed pretty balanced in terms of songwriting. Yeah. You know, musicians and bands have to have to sniff out the best songs. And I learned this very early on in my band, you know, started out, I wrote all these songs not because I had music coming out of me, but because I was forming a band and a band needs songs. Okay, I'll write some. You know, they're pretty lame, three chord tricks. Um, and then we were supposed to be a punk band. Uh, we sp had spiky hair and everything, but one of the guys in the band started writing actual songs. <laughs> there went our whole punk credibility right there. You know, but, it, but it, we didn't really see them as his song, I saw that each, you know, Stingo would produce a song of, wow, cool, let's play that. And it never occurred to me until we'd finished our record and we're, you know, we're working out the, all of, all of, you know, the production, the publishing rights and everything. I, wow, gosh, I really identify with Roxanne. That's my song, but uh, I didn't actually write it. <laughs> but I still identify with it. I still put everything I had into making the record and everything. I eh, It's okay. You know, I, I've done very well with Roxanne and uh, with those songs that Sting wrote, you know. Um, so I'm a happy camper. That being said, were you surprised that the songs are so malleable and could, and could, and could do what you're having them do right now? Some of them are not. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of them, like Roxanne, we used to improvise on stage. And those improvisations are what I've used, even though you, there's all this alien stuff. It actually did originate from Sting and Andy. You know, Andy's incredible guitar parts that he came up with, Sting's extrapolations vocally and on his bass as well. Okay, I took a few liberties of my own as well. Uh, but it's, it really is police sensibilities. And so Roxanne had these opportunities that were presented by these jams that we did. Message in a Bottle, not so much. That's like a diamond. You cannot carve up that song. It is the way it was ordained to be. Uh, I did add a little introduction and do some stuff to it, but the fundamental song. So about half the songs are true to the original form. The other half, I took some liberties. But people <laughs> are enjoying the liberties, it's sort of like hide the hit, you know? And I, we play this in introduction and you, yeah, 
I know, I know this music. I know what it is. And then we, you know, and then at a certain point, every breath you, and they, and they, you know, as I, as they're playing it down, I can see the front audience is going like, ah. to me, it's really obvious. Um, but when it kicks in, folks like that. I mean, even a song like Don't Stand So Close to Me, when it, the 86 version shows. Well, we're, I'm doing both. You're doing both. I'm doing both versions. This thing changed the key. Mm. Challenging. Uh, yeah. when, he, when we did it the second time. And so um, I'm actually kind of got both versions melded together in there with the orchestra. I was 16 and that came out I went oh that's a totally different song than the one that I've known for a couple of years so even that showed that the songs were pretty rubbery in terms of what you could do with them nobody liked that version I like that <laughs> version <laughs> I kind of like that version I didn't play on it it was my my machine I programmed because I broke my collarbone I was in a polo game my horse did a somersault I was obliged to dismount uh, and I broke my collarbone so I couldn't actually play but I programmed the drums on it, which I, I, you know, I thought it was a pretty cool version, actually, yeah. but the world was pretty universally reviled. Oh, well, I, I loved it. Um, now, at what point when you were doing this project, you're putting it together, at what, what point did you say to yourself, oh, this is totally going to work? There was never any doubt about what, about the execution of this. Well, you're never absolutely sure, but you know, those songs just have, well, a couple things. One, that I had a pretty good idea that is probably gonna work is the emotional impact of nostalgia and memory. Um, and I did a documentary series for the BBC about what is music and why, what music is neurologically, what it is anthropologically, why do homo sapiens have music? Um, and you'll have to watch these, the series. But the scientific approach to music revealed that emotion and memory and music have a very strong synergistic bond. And, you know, Alzheimer's patients can be brought back by music. They've forgotten their wife's of 40 years name, but they remember the words to that song. And so music and memory are really closely bound. And the reason the eggheads at, at Harvard and Princeton and Stanford told me is that memories are kept alive. They're, 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 they're kept strong and available by emotion. If there's an emotional charge to a memory, it's easily retrieved by the emotional stimulus and music. So I know that when I play Roxanne, Message in a Bottle, Every Breath You Take, the history that people have with those songs is so powerful. And we used to see this when we would play a new album, you know, for the first month or so of a tour with the, the new songs of the new album, kind of, okay, cool. But when we hit the songs of the previous album, yeah. And it's because of the association, the memories and memory and music. So I, you know, I write a lot of music. I've written two operas in the last couple of years. One of them premiered this year, one next year. I do write new music. Uh, that's what I'm here for. But in this occasion, I'm delving into the treasure chest of these songs that just have a guaranteed emotional impact. And I am richly rewarded by having really fun shows. And one of the things that lights me up is to see the orcs lit up. You know, normally a good night playing 
core classical, my, you know, my concerto for percussion and orchestra, as I call it, concerto for stew daddy and orcs, you know, and I play it with the big, the other acts on the bill are Stravinsky, Mahler, Debussy, you know, I'm, I, that is the tall grass, you know, and I'm very humbled to see my name on the poster and on a good night, I get a, you know, hoots and a standing ovation. It was a good, good night. At a rock and roll show, this is standard. You know, uh, the, the rock and roll audiences just do that. They're very effusive. They're very noisy. I like that. This isn't a core, this isn't a core classical concert. It's a rock concert. And all those guys on the stage, we are a band and we're gonna burn down the house. And, but to see the orcs getting this rock and roll response Ah, uh, that lights me up. I had Andy Summers on a couple of weeks ago, and he said that when he plays with different people, he plays differently. Um, do you find that like you're you're playing differently with the orcs than you would with other? I mean, it seems kind of obvious that you would. I kind of I've never thought about that. I, uh, certainly not consciously. Um, you know, uh, if Sting shows up at the show, I'm probably going to speed up. So the presence of Sting makes you go faster. Uh, we did a sound check in San Diego with the San Diego Symphony. And it's an outdoor show. And it's, it's in a park. So by the day, a lot of my old, because I went to college down there, a lot of my college buddies showed up. And, uh, and we're doing the sound check. It's all very fun. I look over and I, I see my, uh, my college sweetheart there and all my chuckle buddies. And the conductor's going, Copeland, slow down. <laughs> you know. I could play in front of 80,000 strangers without much, you know, it's a show. But, you know, one person that you know changes everything. Oh, yeah. No, I was playing in college. I was playing tennis for the team and I was killing this guy. And then the girl I was interested in walked in and I couldn't make contact with the ball anymore. That's right. <laughs> um, in terms of your, your relationship to your instrument, to the drums, how has that changed over the last, I don't know, decade or so, and how do you approach the instrument now? Well, it used to be abusive and now it is loving. My drums used to be a weapon, but now are they, now they are a, a musical instrument imbued with delicacy, sensitivity, and emotional qualities that I never even knew were there when I were trying to kill them, uh, which you do when you're in a rock and roll band. My instrument right over here is designed for, uh, to compete with, 200 watt Marshall stacks uh, and the orcs are much quieter much much quieter and I learned the first my first show with drum set and orchestra was the, with the uh, Seattle Symphony and in the sound check I'm just doing my thing and everybody coming to Stuart, Stuart, Stuart yeah, you, you gotta cut the I, you know there, I can see all these people on the stage but can't hear anything but drums that's because drums are loud the piccolo the oboe the bassoon, these are wonderful instruments, but just sheer volume wise, there it's no match. So I've had to bring my volume way, 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 way down. Very rewarding exercise on several counts. First, um, all these techniques that I learned as a kid, you know, drags, roughs, you know, you know, these, these sensitive, cool, persnickety stuff. You never hear it in a rock show. There's just no, it just doesn't read. You know, uh, you can't use any of that stuff. So now all this other cool technique is now relevant again. Secondly, the drums sound so great. When, when you're not killing them, they sing. 
you know, boom, 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 boom. You know, hey, there's all kinds of texture. You hit them over here a little bit differently from if you hit it over there. There's, so the vocabulary of the drums themselves is much wider. Best part of all, nobody gets a headache. Mm. Including the drummer. Yeah, absolutely. I can play all day. You know, I lament with my drummer buddies, you know, about how the drummer carries the band down every foot of the highway on our broad shoulders. If we slow down, the music slows down. If we stop, the music stops. The bass player, they can take a break. The guitar, he hits a schwang chord, let it ring for three bars. He takes his ease. The drummer is always working. However, in this orchestral environment, I am caressing my drums with love. Uh, it is much less strenuous and a lot more fun. So it sounds like you've discovered some nuance to, to playing that you hadn't really thought about before. Yeah, I heard this word nuance in a dictionary somewhere and uh, I said, hey, let me try some of that. And it's true. I mean, I imagine that it would be kind of punishing for a drummer to be in a rock band all the time. That must be physically hard. Well, I discovered this closely guarded secret amongst all the musos in the middle of the bus that uh, one summer, I go, I go to Italy most summers and I do anything, anything just to play shows in Italy. And uh, one summer I went over there and I'm the, I'm the guitarist and singer in the band. I'm in the front man. I'm in a band. Okay, I got Mark King on bass. I got Adrian Ballou on guitar. I got Vittorio Cosmo on keyboard. You never heard of him. He's Italian monster. Uh, and level 42's drummer on the drums. Man, that Pete Ray Giggin kicks. And I'm on guitar. And I'm having a wild time. And one thing, I look over my shoulder, young Pete blasting away. And I'm feeling like an old lion, real glad to have a young lion around the house do all the heavy lifting. And I'm realizing how hard that guy is working there. But for the grace of God, I was for 40 years. Uh, and realize how much easier this job is than that job. Hardly break a sweat. And now I wonder why when I'm done at six o'clock, uh, the band carry on jamming and I'm, how can, you know, that's because they're not working as hard. And the really galling thing, they get paid just as much. <laughs> can you believe it? Yeah, well, there, it gives you a different perspective being in a different seat. You know, I, the, only, the only other member of the band who gets a pass is the, the, the bass player, our brother in rhythm, you know, together at the back of the stage in the back of the bus, <laughs> you know. Mind you, the drummer does have kind of a bond, a secret understanding with the singer, because we both share the same insecurity about, are we even really musicians at all? You know, at opposite ends of the jet, you know, um, in the middle of the guitarist and the keyboard player talking something about F sharp minor and whatever. I don't know if they're talking about me or you, but I don't know. There's some weird language. The bass players amongst them, my brother, the bass player is in there. I mean, he knows what an F sharp is. It's that fret right there. Not sure about the minor part, but at least he, yeah, F sharp, I got that. Thunk, thunk, thunk. It's so deep that nobody knows where he played an F sharp or an F natural, but hey, you know, at least he knows the name of a note. <laughs> in a rock band, the, the bass player and the drummer are, are in sync all the time. That's a really important relationship, right? Well, yeah, I mean, my, my top 10 chuckle buddies, Probably seven of them are bass players. Oh, that's interesting. Even personally, it's an important relationship. Ah, go figure. Go figure. Uh, but in an orchestra, who do you have to lock in with the most? All of them? 
the strings. Strings. Yeah, the way it works out. The percussion, I give them, in this instance here, I actually am able to sort of select the percussionists because orchestral percussionists are not the rhythm section. They, just because they're hitting things doesn't mean that they're the rhythm guys. What they do is punctuation. You know, as the mauler is swirling and boom, they will land on that right with the brass, right with the conductor's baton. And they, it's that timing is exquisite that they can do that. And they do these, these things because their instruments are really loud. So they have to be on the money. You know, violin player can play the whole concert backwards and there's, he's one of 14 guys no one will ever notice. Uh, but the percussionist comes in with his bang he's got to really know what he's doing, you know, in a weird kind of way. Um, so for me to lock in, the conductor is where we are. He's for navigation, but the groove factor, kind of the strings and even the basses, um, it, you know, the, they add oomph to the cello, to the celli. Mm. Um, and the, the bassoon, that's my favorite instrument because they really cut, gang, 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 gang no mistaking where the groove is with that bassoon. And so I lock in with those kind of elements, but mainly the strings, go figure, they kind of are the rhythm section. Did that take you a minute to get used to and go, oh, my attention has to be really focused on them? Uh, as a composer, it took a minute because yeah. I would do things, I would put in, you know, my rhythm, da, 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 you know, the uh, syncopations. So I give the, the percussions, okay, you got a cowbell, four on the floor, clock, clock, just, okay, you're the boss of rhythm. Show us, show the whole orchestra where down is so that we can all play up. And he's looking like this. Instead of looking like, yeah, I got this. He's looking like, oh my God, me. Um, and so he's reading his four, four quarter notes in a bar from left to right across the page. You know, dude, you know what eight bars is, don't you? Yes, if I'm reading it. You know, a, a musician of the ear, you don't have to tell him when his eight bars are up. 16, we just know, but orchestral players whose eyes are locked, they don't count, they read. Um, and it's a very, it's a diff different components of the brain are involved. You know, there's a lot of musicians that cross over. Stanley Clark is the only musician that I know who can be reading a chart and then improvise on it, add to it as, because they're, they're kind of conflicting parts of the brain. There's submission on this side, and creativity on that side. And so far as I know, Stanley's the only guy who can work both of those things at the same time. That doesn't even seem humanly possible, the way you describe it. Well, Stan many aspects of Stanley are not humanly possible. You know, I think a lot of things about Stuart Copeland don't seem humanly possible. The guy is busy. He's done so much. And I think that's the secret to life. If you want to have a list of achievements that are so numerous that they can't fit in the introduction of a podcast, then do what Stuart does and never stop. The guy's like a musical shark. If you don't believe me, go to stuartcopeland.net and check out the tour dates 
for the police deranged for orchestra. There's a performance this week in L.A., then there's one in Atlanta, uh, early December, Milwaukee, then in 2022, Portland, Nashville, then he goes to Europe, and I think that date's in the summer. Yep, here it is, August 20th, Amsterdam. More dates will be announced. Just keep checking back at stuartcopeland.net, and you'll be in the loop. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. BombshellRadio.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with our radio station. You can follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast. Or you can email me, editor, at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. If you're feeling reckless, do all three. Stereo Embers the Podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use. Subscribe rate and review tell all your friends do spread the word we appreciate it let's close the show with the police bring on the night enjoy it and i'll see you next time right here on stereo embers the podcast only on bombshell radio the afternoon has gently passed me by